the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 242 for January 16th, 2011. The rumors can stop. Verizon is getting the iPhone. Alika Palooza of upcoming Blackberries and the carriers get put to the test. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, in the news this week, 16 WiMAX network operators gathered in Taiwan at the WiMAX Forum Global Operator Summit to discuss international roaming. The companies are working to allow WiMAX users to roam on other WiMAX networks, uh, The details of when the system may be put in place are not yet available. Sprint, Intel, Samsung, Motorola, LG, and Clearwire were all in attendance. T-Mobile UK announced that they would be changing the terms to reflect the fair use of mobile broadband data down to 500 megabytes per month. The change begins on February 1st and applies to new and upgrading customers. One caveat to the plans is you'll always be able to email and browse the internet in an unlimited manner and not have to pay more. However, the watching of videos, downloading files, and playing games is limited to the 500 megabytes. The company recommends that you save that stuff for your home broadband connection, kind of a uh, an international net neutrality thing here, asking the you know the the customer to choose what they're doing on their device to only the things that aren't using a lot of bandwidth. And uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, in the future here um, about Metro PCS and what they've been kind of accused of with this as well. Well, it's really interesting to 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 put this into this 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 kind of perspective because the net neutrality really makes it out to be where you don't pay for different types of services but allowing you to choose which one that seems kind of strange just make it all uh un, you know make it all available but i suppose there's got to be a line drawn somewhere and, and how this is going to shake out is uh going to be kind of uh it, it's going to be a strange process because there's going to be some give and take um i know the new rules from, from the fcc may come into play here as well here in the u.s so we'll really have to see how this shakes out it's uh it's 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 interesting because you know bandwidth is expensive and companies for so long have been way 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 overselling um you know promising what they can deliver for speed and megabit but now that we're finally getting into streaming video and now we're moving into streaming hd video which is drastically more bandwidth than than regular video and of course video is drastically more than than music for example now it becomes kind of a you know red flags go up with with any internet provider you know especially wireless that uh oh we are not going to be able to handle this amount of data that uh, people are going to be using and they didn't really clarify some you know some of the things that i do quite a bit which would be like using an application to access certain content or to stream audio i mean they mentioned streaming video and i'm guessing audio falls into that but it's not real specific there so if you're someone who uses t-mobile in the uk you're going to want to make sure you're you're very clear on what you're doing with these phones because you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're going over that 500 megs and getting yourself in trouble Ericsson announced on Tuesday mobile broadband subscriptions had reached a milestone in 2010, surpassing 500 million users globally. The report further says that this number is expected to double in 2011, with the number pushing 1 billion before the end of the year. Asia is expected to lead the increase, followed by North America and Europe. By 2015, Ericsson estimates that 3.8 billion broadband subscriptions will be in play. 
Mobile network performance network measurement company Root Metrics did testing during the week of CES, and the results are in. The company did reports for the days of January 7th through the 10th in Las Vegas's convention center area. The overall results showed T-Mobile provided the fastest 3G service at CES, with Verizon Wireless winning the distinction of being the most reliable. Sprint earned the title of not only the fastest 4G provided via Clear's WiMAX network, but also the most reliable 4G. AT&T was noticeably absent from these awards, but a note in Root's report says the large consumer use of a specific device, i.e. the iPhone, could have a significant impact on data performance on the network. Root said that overall, T-Mobile's data network provided the fastest 3G networks and speeds on Saturday and Sunday were two to three times faster than all other carriers. Verizon's 3G network was the second fastest, followed then by AT&T and then Sprint. In terms of reliability, Verizon performed with access failure rates at less than 10% each day of the three of the four days. Access rates uh, were less than 2%. AT&T's 3G network measured an overall 89% data failure rate during the first day, with Sprint and T-Mobile recording 45% and 53% data failures, respectively, for their 3G networks. Now, both Joey and I, of course, tested out all these networks with the exception of T-Mobile. The uh, 89% failure rate for AT&T sounds just about right. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, being in that 45% uh, range sounds about right for Sprint. There were times when you try and do something and it just wouldn't work. And the strange thing is, is that, you know, they were talking, this is specifically for the convention center, but where when you got away from the convention center, you know, way far away, I mean, not where you'd be on the same towers, it just, it worked almost worse, it seemed like. You had nothing in a lot of the hotels, and that was uh, really frustrating. I mean, I could almost understand it, the convention center, and it seems like you actually had little bits of service there, but it was, um, I, I just can't believe you could tolerate that because that was horrific, Mickey. Yeah, it's the fact that I have Sprint and Verizon lines as well that allow me to kind of just ignore the fact that sometimes it doesn't work. I shouldn't have to be that way. And as of late, things have been a little wonky, too. I'm not really sure what's going on. It's probably all in my mind thinking, well, look how bad AT&T is. I really need to move over to the Verizon iPhone. But anyway, I digress. We'll move on to that here in just a few. Research firm Canalys Thursday predicted that Android will grow at more than twice the rate of its competitors in 2011. The firm said Google's OS will not be crippled by fragmentation or the iPhone coming to Verizon. According to third quarter numbers, Android made 25.1% of the worldwide smartphone market with 20 million units in the quarter. Android was behind only Symbian, which held the lead at 37% of the market. RIM on Thursday announced that it would be launching a cloud-based version of its BlackBerry Enterprise server by the end of the year. RIM showed off the new architecture during an event for reporters and analysts, but offered little in the way of details. The launch of the service will depend on carrier partners, and it's still unknown if it will be hosted by RIM or the carrier. RIM's architecture for a cloud-based BEZ creates an open BlackBerry common messaging interface between various mail adapters and BEZ services software, as well as a BEZ database. The interface allows third parties to create variations of BEZ, and Pete Devanil, vice president of RIM's communications platform group, said that according, uh, accordingly, there will be more than 250,000 active BEZ servers running around the world. Uh, this is a kind of an interesting thought for those that are running BlackBerry Enterprise servers, being able to do so in a cloud-based environment, not having to to use the the actual server that you have running in your office. And I don't know, does this does this mean a lot for companies, or is this going to be more um, for maybe like smaller businesses or even the individual side? 
you know, it could be either way, Mickey. There's a, it, it, it just depends on the company itself. There's a lot of companies that are kind of moving away from having any sort of IT infrastructure as far as servers or anything uh, goes in their location. A lot of things are being moved away from, you know, local management um, servers and such because there is so many cloud-based services. It kind of depends on the, the politics of the company and what the company is, in fact, doing. Um, small businesses would probably be a better candidate for this, but not always. So it, it's really, it, it, it'll be very dependent on the company and individuals. I don't know if it'll be priced that way. It really depends on how they, how they release it. But this is kind of interesting though, because remember BlackBerry, we didn't, you didn't have the BIS even for a period of time. You had to have a bed server in order to use a BlackBerry at all. So, I mean, they've slowly moved into the consumer marketplace, but now they're making the next step with the cloud-based services, but they absolutely have to because there are so many companies that are moving away from having their own email server. And if you don't have your own email server, uh, like if you go to Google, for example, and use, you know, the Gmail system for your own hosted email, you can't have a best server because it won't interface with it. So something like this, as long as it can interface with something like that or a hosted exchange server, then um, it makes complete sense. Well, that's the exact scenario that I was thinking of. And that's, you know, how we host the email for, for the site and for this show is, is all through Google, through Google Apps. And the fact that we can't have uh, Bez integration with that isn't, isn't a, a huge deal, but it certainly would be nice. I mean, it does integrate now with calendar contacts and mail. So you do get the big three, which is basically as much as you get when you've got an iPhone or an Android device and you're synchronizing uh, through the ActiveSync protocol over to an Exchange server. So it's, uh, it's not like you're, you're missing a lot. But for those that use the Bez, Joey, both you and I do, we have devices that sync with them. And to have the tasks, tasks synchronization and the notes specifically synchronization, as well as the ability to, you know, to do different things like push your, all your internet traffic uh, through a proxy that allows you to do different things like managing Oracle apps applications and the like is is very very nice to be able to do and it would be great too to have a let's just say a, a personal account that you're running on a site that has a specific email to it that you can then also manage uh manage the policies of that as well which is one thing that makes bez nice well absolutely the policies too and then also there's a lot of uh, other functionality other than just the email and the the the, the you get you get extended email so you know the filing like you've shown me where you can put you know email in different folders view those folders you've got synchronization that happens immediately or mm-hmm. within a few seconds versus hours that it sometimes sometimes takes uh, gmail to do uh, especially read syncing contact syncing that takes a long time um, it's a lot more immediate and uh, it, i find that i use that immediacy quite a bit where i'll be at outlook i'll be at my phone i'll be at outlook and and if they're out of sync, um, it, it, it just, it's too much. It, it gets too confusing. So um, I, it's, a, it's a great move for RIM. Yep. So we'll see. Again, a quarter of a million active Bez servers out there right now. So this is going to affect quite a few people. Qualcomm showed off its latest Snapdragon processor this week. It's a chipset known as the MSM8X60, built using the 45 nanometer process. The platform integrates dual Scorpion cores running at 1.2 gigahertz with graphics accelerated from a dedicated Adreno GPU. Two variants will be available for smartphones and tablets, one for GSM, UMTS, and HSPA Plus connectivity, and another for CDMA for the EVDO Rev0, RevA, and RevB networks. Qualcomm has yet to announce a time frame for the components arriving to market. 
Well, the LG head of global marketing, James Choi, uh, spoke to blog PocketLint this week about Windows Phone 7. He says that sales have not met the expectations for LG so far, stating that from an industry perspective, we had high expectations, but from a consumer point of view, uh, visibility is less than we expected. Choi also said that savvy users may lose interest in the OS, and for tech guys like us, it may be a little boring after a week or two, and there have been certain segments that it really appeals to, though we're not sure if this is going to stick. Well, that's kind of exactly what you had said, Mickey. It's it's kind of boring, um, especially when you're comparing it to Android and the iPhone, where it's you know it's very polished now at this point. Um, Windows Seven, it it's got no power behind it as far as the marketing. Again, they had an initial release where there was a lot of uh, you know marketing PR dollars spent on it, but since it's come out, that's all dried up, and basically I haven't heard a single thing about it. You need the power of like Verizon did with the droid marketing campaign where it really, really bumped the awareness up. I mean, don't you agree with that campaign? I mean, look at how many people now know what a droid is. They call it a droid, even though they're kind of talking about any Android phone in general because it it morphs into that. But Windows phone, it's just it's kind of a nothingness right now. Uh, People don't people don't really even know what Windows mobile is now, especially with their target audiences. So there's no issue there. But the name of it is is really bad windows phone that's not good and they they just started from there and it's just it's going to be this way for a while until it has the time to catch on like what we talked about uh, earlier well they had put together a, a nice initial launch marketing campaign and, and like you said there's a big push at the beginning but since it's been kind of slow i mean the two u.s partners that they have t-mobile and at&t have done minimal uh, minimal advertising in fact at&t has been the bigger force behind it i mean you still see these these lg commercials on tv where you've got the little guys uh you know walking around and stuff and looking at the windows phones and whatever but t-mobile has done very very little so i i agree it's it's probably going to be this way for for quite a while i, I can't see um, a, a real big push happening here. But, you know, I think Microsoft was looking for something kind of like this, like, let's get these out, you know, to multiple partners around the world. And we'll eventually we'll incrementally ramp up and we'll get more and more people interested in the operating system. But it's it's not the big initial push like, you know, we expect uh, nowadays with with some of these operating systems. So um, yeah, it's unfortunately, like LG says, uh, it isn't meeting their sales expectations. And it is perceived to be a little bit boring. Well, Computer World published a study this week explaining which carriers and OEMs are updating their Android hardware the fastest. The report looks at the number of devices upgraded to Froyo, how many days it took to receive this upgrade, and what percentage of devices are still waiting. HTC updates their devices most often, delivering 50% of its handsets with Froyo. Motorola updates the fastest, just 55 days on average after Froyo was released. For the carriers, Verizon updated their phones in just 58 days, followed by Sprint, T-Mobile, and AT&T. Further, AT&T has failed to upgrade any of its nine handsets since May of 2010. Verizon announced Wednesday 16 additional 3G towers in the New York metro area are now active for customer use. The timing of the enhancement is coincidental with the impending launch of the Verizon iPhone, especially since they will not function as LTE towers for the time being. The locations of the new towers include the counties of Rockland, Suffolk, Westchester, and Nassau. 
Verizon Wednesday confirmed to the Wall Street Journal that it has ended its new Every Two Upgrade program that goes into effect today, January 16th. Moving forward, Verizon customers will need to wait until the 20th month of their contract before they're eligible to upgrade with a discount on hardware. The new policy goes into effect for all current customers at the time of their next contract upgrade. Earlier this week, Mickey, I, I couldn't understand what New Every Two was versus what they've moved to. I, I finally did the research and figured out what New Every Two actually meant. I, I, you know, I've seen it on the Verizon accounts for a long time, but it's $100 off the already discounted price if you uh, upgrade your phone. But that's at the two-year mark. If you go before... They they had a discount then before that period up to, I think it was like month 12 starting at, you'd actually get a, a pretty good discount on the phone. So yes, you're uh, losing some, uh, definitely some value here for people who are signing up for a new contract at this point going forward. So you can still utilize new every two on your current plan and phone as long as you don't renew your contract. Uh, so people who do want an iPhone, I don't know if this is going to still be in play or not because of the already discounted price, but uh, it, it's it's definitely a, uh, not as good for the consumer. I have to imagine that they had a lot of people upgrading this week because the program was still in place until today. So if you go in today and and upgrade your phone, you will get that new every two discount today. But when you do that, you're renewing your contract for another two years, you get that discount on the hardware. The next time you go to do it, you will not get the discount. Now, if you upgraded yesterday, um, you with your new every two, you get the discount on the hardware, you get your new two year agreement, and the new every two still in place. So you, you will then be able to a year from now upgrade and still get I think it's 30 bucks is what it is starting at the 12 month period, up to like you said, $100 after 20 months or whatever 20 right at 24 months whatever it is um so there was a, a little bit of uh you know cat and mouse there i guess for people trying to you know squeeze in that last upgrade that they wanted to get here so they may have been doing that this week in fact i had a coworker who was looking to do the same thing and i believe has got a bold 9650 on the way to him as he's looking uh, or he wanted to make an upgrade and uh, we'll still get his new every two uh, when he goes to upgrade at the next point Verizon this week also announced plans for the initial 2011 rollout schedule of the LTE network it runs. The company mentioned that it will have 140 markets live by the end of the year. In addition, uh, the, or the addition of these 49 markets will bring the total uh, in mid-2011 to 87. Virgin Mobile Wednesday announced it will drop its $40 unlimited plans to a 5 gig soft cap. Users can continue to use their MiFi devices beyond the 5 gig limit, but speeds will be throttled significantly. In a statement to PC Mag, Virgin said customers who use BB2Go for typical email, internet surfing, and reasonable downloading will likely not be impacted or notice any difference. The change goes into effect at the end of the current billing cycle. Sprint on Wednesday sent out invitations to an event that they're hosting on February 7th, touting an industry-first announcement. While the chance of a Sprint iPhone is a possibility, it's highly unlikely. The invite further mentioned that uh, they'll show you the impossible is possible, which could mean just about anything. The my bet is we'll hear something about a new service like Sprint ID that was announced back at CTIA. There's been a lot of uh, kind of thoughts and speculation. Some of the, the people that have been invited to this have been more the Android-focused sites. Um, I even had a thought at one point that it could be Windows Phone. I know, Joey, you mentioned that as well could be the case. Um, you know, Palm is going to be doing their own event just uh, right around that time. And so I don't think it has anything to do with them. So I guess possibly something with, uh, you know, with the Android side of things, but what's what's going to be the industry first, you know, something 4G, maybe the device will be released that day that has dual core and 
I don't know, Prince Money. Who knows what they're going to do? But it, <laughs> Prince Money. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. And any other thoughts on this one, what they could uh, be you doing? Know, I really don't. This is going to be kind of a mystery here. We we don't have any predictions. I mean, maybe they'll be releasing the iPhone. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, maybe not that. Mm, uh, maybe not. No, it's probably going to be some service-based thing that they've come up with that's, that's new and exciting as, as far as something different to go on because I think Sprint Strategy is now... Uh, going to try to differentiate themselves, which is a good idea to give it a shot here. Why not? So I, I will just have to see what happens. Yeah, registration begins at five. Program starts at six on February seventh. Still got a couple, couple weeks to go before that one, but of course, uh, all the all the big sites will be covering it, so we'll be sure to report on it. Public interest groups have petitioned the FCC recently on the claim that Metro PCS's LTE broadband plans violate net neutrality laws. The groups say in, that the terms of the plans are too vague. And for example, the only only video streaming site that is supported on, on, on the unlimited plans they have is YouTube. Metro PCS's chief executive, Roger Lindquist, on Tuesday said that the complaints about our new prosumer, pro-competitive 4G LTE rate plans are erroneous. We continue to offer customers a full-service, unlimited data plan. We increased customer choice by adding two new rate plans that are less expensive and enable customers to select the service and content that they want at the price point that they can afford. These are uh, new rate plans comply with the FCC's new rules on open mobile internet. MetroPCS also said that they would make a full and complete written response to the various assertions contained in the letter on or before the 11th of February. Well, thanks to our first sponsor, Square Trade, protect your investments through a special offer from the company. Square Trade offers 70% lower prices on in-store warranties. And if you visit squaretrade.com slash junkie, you'll get an additional 25% off your order. Square Trade offers a five-day guarantee, meaning you'll either have a fixed device or your money back within five days or less. Visit squaretrade.com slash junkie, click on get a warranty, and choose your device. Once you're done, you'll see your podcast listener discount under the order summary for 25% off your total purchase. Thanks to Square Trade for sponsoring the show. Verizon announced on Tuesday the big announcement that we had all been waiting for. A CDMA version of the iPhone would be coming to their network starting on February 10th. Pricing starts at $200. Verizon COO Lowell McAdam took the stage to make the announcement, saying, quote, if the press writes something long enough, it eventually comes true. The device is essentially the same as the current GSM and HSPA version, featuring a 5-megapixel camera, A4 processor, and has a $200 16GB model or $300 32GB model. The device will have EVDO Rev-A networking, mobile hotspot service for up to five users, and will be available for pre-order for existing customers starting February 3rd. Now, the agreement between the companies is said to be a multi-year, non-exclusive agreement. The version will be CDMA only, as LTE is said to have forced some design compromises, and customers have told Verizon that they want the device right now. When questioned about the design of the antenna, Verizon responded that the phone had been optimized to work on the CDMA network, but did not comment further on any redesigns that may have fixed any issues that people were having with the previous models. And as with all CDMA devices, the phone will not be able to do simultaneous voice and data like its HSPA counterpart. Pricing plans were not revealed for the device, but we have to expect that they're going to be very similar to what's out there right now for Android and, and say, the BlackBerry devices themselves. Uh, We went into great detail about uh, what happened with this announcement and answered pretty much every question that you can think of on this week's Unlock show. That was show number 73. So if you want to know more about it, make sure that you subscribe to listen to hear. We answered every question that you can possibly think of for everything that we know about the device right now, because there are a lot of questions.
There really are. And it's a, it's a very, it's a really interesting, uh, thing even though it's just a device that's been out for a long time it does really shift some of the focus off of android and it shifts uh you know the 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 apple product into many more hands now um and and it gives it just a whole new perspective even though it's it's kind of the same old device but it it really will uh affect the market in a really big way here i think yeah i do too i mean this was a big deal for them to to finally get this we'd been talking about it for so long it was it felt like it, the day would never come that they announced it but of course we we figured that it, that this was what was going to happen on this particular you know day there was no other reason for them to hold a special event and and so uh it'll be available coming on uh, february 10th for all customers that are looking to pick one up and it's a uh, really interesting you know some of the other news that came out uh about the iphone that uh that they weren't going to do a CDMA phone at all. And, uh, you know, some of the rumors were that Verizon was supposed to get on it, but it really was um, just the fact that it was GSM, and that was a lot of speculation, too, at the time. And, and of course, that makes perfect sense for Apple because they build one piece of hardware for the entire world. Well, Bloomberg on Wednesday had spoke with Verizon President Lowell McAdam, and they took an inside look at the negotiations. First off, they said that Verizon cell towers on Apple's campus were disclosed, of course, back in July when they were talking about AntennaGate, and so that enabled them to do testing on a CDMA version of the iPhone. Also, engineers from Apple and Verizon worked very closely to put the product together, uh, and one of them specifically spent more than a year working directly on Apple's campus, providing uh, their own laboratory to play with and uh, put together all the testing that they needed to for the network. You know, and a lot of speculation was an IT or LTE iPhone coming. And with that uh, quote right there being over a year of testing, uh, the chipsets just weren't ready in time. Because when we've got those announcements, Mickey, they were, it was not that long ago, maybe six months ago, seven months ago, that uh, Qualcomm had integrated chipsets uh, with all the bands, you know, the GSM and CDMA and LTE all in. But it's way too late in the game to have that chipset announced at that time. I mean, with the development cycle of the iPhone and Apple. And Verizon, I mean, because I know Verizon takes their time too, making sure everything works uh, absolutely perfect. So uh, it just was uh, too late. Well, they were saying too, negotiations were primary, primarily handled by uh, by Lowell McAdam and then uh, COO of Apple, Tim Cook. They said they took about six to nine months on the technical side to uh, make this actually work. Uh, and then they had to work on the commercial side, and that, that didn't really take them all that long. Specifically, they said, you know, the uh, the prominence of Verizon's branding is nowhere to be seen on this device. And the fact that, you know, the, the Apple uh, kind of the design of products doesn't really have uh, all these different logos and, and things that get in the way of the experience, I guess. Um, you know, McAdam said they don't put a lot of logos on their phones, so it wasn't a major issue for us. Uh, on Friday, though, CEO Even Seidenberg uh, talked to Business Week and said that Apple decided that it wanted a one-carrier deal uh, in every major market. So Apple and AT&T consummated a deal three years ago, and because Apple was more focused on a single technology, i.e. GSM, they chose AT&T, and they had good discussions with them, but it was clear that they weren't looking to make the device for both sets of technologies. So um, Apple and Verizon, uh, a couple of years ago, um, Lowell McAdam says that he called Steve, set up a time to visit with him, and uh, they went and talked about what it would mean to put together and get their business interests together. Um, Seidenberg said that he's fine with not having the, the logo on the phone and remains confident that Verizon won't face the same problems as AT&T 
with the uh, the data traffic that comes from having all the iPhones on the network. He said, though, he's going to let the performance speak for itself. But, of course, what else is he going to say? Not like, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure what's going to happen with this one, right? I mean, it's obviously he's going to have to say, you know, we're, we're, we're good. We've got a great network. It's not going to have any problems. And honestly, th- there's enough Android devices out there using enough bandwidth. I don't think there's going to be. I think they've had enough time to really see what some of these data-hogging smartphones can do. I think we've also got enough time here with uh, iPhone being out for everybody else. And then for the, the, the switch over to Verizon, I think it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a big deal for Verizon, but I don't think it's going to be just a gigantic, overwhelming number of iPhones being sold right away. I think it'll be kind of a gradual uh, process. So I think that Verizon will probably have time to keep up if they do need to upgrade. Well, uh, RBC analyst Mike Abramsky says that he's uh, raised his firm's target on Apple stock to nearly $400. That's up over 10% versus the previous target. And he's also speculating 70 million iPhones to be sold during 2011. That number represents 19% of the global smartphone market. So he's thinking that uh, obviously Verizon is going to be a, a stake in that. Also, the CDMA iPhone uh, will be out in the U.S. within the month, but it will also be making its way to Asian carriers, it appears. Insiders have said that Apple's new contractor, Pegatron, would be making a new version for additional carriers in China, Japan, and South Korea. And if it's accurate, the networks have already confirmed uh, have already confirmed that by the CDMA format, it's often used as the uh, major candidate in each country and has been previously hinted at with these rumors. China would be served by the second largest provider, China Telecom, where Japan's own second largest, KDDI, would back up SoftBank, and Korea would be supported by the largest carrier, SK Telecom. So uh, look for potential announcements there coming in the next few months. Now, Engadget posted information this week on the 2011 generation of Apple products, including the iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV, with the claim that dual-core ARM Cortex-A9-based Apple A5 chips will will be the switch uh, to a dual GSM and CDMA chipset with a Qualcomm radio chipset that will occur supporting both Verizon and AT&T, of course, with the rest of the world in there as well. Notice that LTE was not mentioned. Though the report isn't new, this information has been floating around for over a year. In fact, thestreet.com, one of the sources that we quoted a year ago, told us that this time last year, Apple had chosen Qualcomm as the chip supplier for the next generation of handsets, and that the iPhone 5 will have a completely new design, according to Engadget, and is only being tested inside the Cupertino campus of Apple to keep from the new design slipping out. The iPad 2 looks like it will still be set for an April launch and will bring a slimmer and sleeker design. Further, it will include a higher resolution screen, similar to the current Retina displays, with front and rear-facing cameras and the inclusion of an SD card slot. Finally, the 2011 Apple TV will be running the A5 chip as well and will bump up the capabilities to 1080p HD video and will likely be released in September. Now, overall, this means that moving forward, Apple will be dumping Infineon in favor of the Qualcomm chips, and you can bet that Qualcomm is huge. Uh, This is huge for them as the San Diego-based chip maker uh, is big into convergence, and so I can see them being the choice moving forward. Now, Bloomberg uh, talked this week about Verizon and the possibility of selling an Apple iPad that connects directly to their network. The article says that Verizon's CFO will receive a model uh, that has the embedded radio that will pose another challenge for AT&T as the carrier's exclusive hold on the iPhone is ending this month. Verizon began selling the iPad as a package with a MiFi, of course, in October. The no word on when some sort of Verizon-enabled device will be out there. Though the iPad 2 
rumored release of April has uh, kind of come full circle here. We've got a couple of different rumors this week. First off, German Apple blog MacNotes.de says that they have Intel on a U.S.-based iPad 2 launch on either Saturday, April 2nd, or the 9th. The device is said to be a U.S. exclusive for several months before going international. The blog also states that Apple will sell a new iPad directly, uh, the new iPad directly for six months before partners like Walmart and Best Buy offer the tablet. Next, uh, the report also claims that the iPad will feature a Retina display or something close to a Retina display, also a possibility of a USB port, and also dual cameras. Now, if you take a look at the iBooks 1.1 references, they've got an iPad X2 or Times 2 uh, for the graphics, which would mean double the current model's resolution. So the 1024 by 768 would be up to 2048 by 1536. That's exactly what Apple did for the iPhone last year with the Retina display, is it allows for the easiest way of existing apps to be used on the screens without any sort of fragmentation. Uh, Though the doubling of the resolution would mean a 260 DPI, which isn't quite as dense as the iPhone 4's 326 DPI, but based on the distance that people hold the, the tablets from their faces, the effect would essentially be the same. But it brings up a question. This is a higher resolution than the current 27-inch display that's sold by Apple. And on a screen that's about a third of the size, is this technology available today to make it happen? And will the new processors and batteries be able to keep up and provide the experience that Apple demands? Well, I guess I, I came across an article that says the uh, the chipset that's proposed to be used in here, I think the A9, is supposedly capable of this kind of resolution. I'm actually really shocked at that. Um, well, I, I guess I am and I'm not because the resolution, this isn't that much resolution for the year that we're in now, 2011. Uh, I think somehow desktops and computers you know, that we're using now have somehow been crippled now for the past at least 12 years. We've been basically... Uh, with the exception of the the bump to the 1080p style here, widescreens, we haven't seen any sort of resolution bump uh, compared to everything else in the computer. And it, it drives me batty when I look at that beautiful iPhone 4 display that you have, Mickey. That's that that's the way our computers should be. That, the computer should have been that years ago. Uh, and I, I hope we're going to see this on the iPad because I want to see this technology on every computer coming up soon so i really do um i've got my fingers crossed that the ipad brings us out because it's it's absolutely gorgeous it's great for your eyes it's uh it's just it looks unbelievable and it it, it's just a benefit for everybody well uh, a little more ipad rumor news i guess bgr speculating that apple will debut a buttonless version of the ipad hence the reason for the multi-touch gestures added in to the ipad in ios 4.3 we'll talk about that in just a second But instead of button taps, you'll now use gestures to navigate to the home screen and also uh, launch uh, things like the app switcher. In addition to the home button disappearing, they're saying that the change will eventually make its way over uh, to the iPhone. So we may see a buttonless iPhone eventually as well. Yeah, I think that's a it's a great change, Mickey. It's uh, obviously could be expected. You know, all the palm prees don't have the the home button anymore. They you just swipe up and then it brings you to the the launcher screen. So I'm sure that'll be going away. But there's still going to be the power button on top to turn it on and off. And I'm sure you know, like would you have to do the button combinations? They'll work out a different way to do that. But I, I'm sure that'll be coming. If not this iPhone that's up this year, it'll be the next one. Yeah, I mean, it's really not that big of a deal to to get rid of the one button, I guess. So that's that, that all you really have for navigation anymore. And, uh, you know, one less mechanical thing to have to deal with. You've got a screen and, and the bezel that you can take advantage of and and uh, be able to use that, make it touch sensitive. And, and it should be uh, it should be just nice and uh, nice and fluid. 
Absolutely. The the button does seem kind of archaic when you're talking about this high resolution and this multi-touch gestures. Why is there a physical button there still at this point? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's kind of like the switch from the trackpad over to the uh, or the trackball over to the trackpad on the BlackBerry, which, you know, makes uh, all these, you know, millions of devices that were sold in the curve generation and even the tours uh, just kind of seem antiquated now. But anyway, speaking of BlackBerries, huge week for BlackBerry leaks here. The entire 2011 roadmap got leaked out by BGR. Let's start it off with the BlackBerry Dakota. This is the successor to the Bold, and it is said to have the famous original Bold styling with the addition of HD video recording, near-field communications, and a 3G mobile hotspot. Additional specifications include a quad-band GSM and Edge, tri-band UMTS, 5-megapixel camera with HD video recording, 4 gigs of built-in storage with 768 megs of RAM, a 2.8-inch VGA screen that's 640 by 480. That's also capacitive, meaning that it is a touch screen to fully take advantage of OS 6. Also, Wi-Fi B, G, and N on both the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz frequencies. Finally, a phone coming with that. 3G mobile hotspot, like I said, micro USB port, Bluetooth, magnometer, accelerometer, proximity sensor, 10.5 millimeters thin, and will come with BlackBerry OS 6.1. So this will be the flagship uh, Bold product. I, I have a feeling they may actually end up calling it the Bold or the Bold 2 um, but it probably will end up just being the bold, uh, I, I think. But this is kind of the device with the touchscreen and the full QWERTY keyboard that we were kind of getting rumors that the OS 6 would be sold with for the most part. So uh, I think that finally now the hardware is going to catch up with the OS. Um, I think on the curves, we're still not going to see a touchscreen on those because, you know, as we know with the, our current bold and the style here that you can run it okay without a touchscreen, but this will bring it up into a, a more modern level. And of course, all the Blackberry should have a touchscreen. I mean, they will eventually, but for this year, this will probably be the flagship product. And uh, it, it's a happy upgrade, especially with the resolution. Finally, that's what we need with Blackberries. Um, obviously the HD video recording is neat, but the processor also, I think we're going to get a bump on, uh, to something that's at least more current because, uh, it needs it desperately. Yep. No, uh, no word on the processor or the battery either. We do not see a battery listed here, but, uh, no, you know, nonetheless, I, I figure we're going to see some upgraded, uh, specs with this one as well. So, uh, the second big scoop came in the ter- in terms of the BlackBerry Apollo, the next generation of the BlackBerry Curve. Specs include quad-band GSM and Edge, tri-band UMTS and HSPA, that's 7.2 megabit per second, Bluetooth 2.1, Wi-Fi BGN, GPS, near-field communications, 512 megs of RAM, 5-megapixel camera with flash. That would be a nice addition to get back to the Curve. Uh, HVGA 480 by 360 display, so a little bit lower resolution, but uh, 1050 milliamp-hour battery. It's got an 800 megahertz CPU, shipping with BlackBerry OS 6.1 and 11 millimeters thin, so a little bit thicker than the Bold, uh, but not too much. No word on pricing, release date, or carrier information on that one. I think that this is a great upgrade for the Curve uh, as well, because the, the, the resolution is up from the current generation, and obviously getting the flashback on the camera, that was an unbelievable uh, thing they took away from the Curve. I, I, I know so many people who just... They're so irritated by the lack of the flash on the current curve, and I fully agree with them. What a what a really a bad decision for the for the kind of the consumer market where they're supposed to be kind of aiming for. 
Mm-hmm. Well, looking at an 800 megahertz processor on the curve can only uh, make one assume that we're going to see something higher on the Dakota, the bold style. So I, I, I can imagine, though, uh, that is the processor, the minimum spec that I think that they're really wanting to see on these OS 6 devices is 800 megahertz. And uh, I fully agree. I think that will be a much better, uh, much better, because I know right now on the GSM side, we've got 624 megahertz and our side on CDMA side, we've got the, was it 528 or something like that? that, It's it's definitely not 624. So uh, we really need to have this uh, 800 and above. Well, the Torch 2 was the third leak from uh, from RIM or from BGR. The exclusive they got on this one shows a 1.2 gigahertz processor. Now we're talking. This is a fast, fast processor. We're talking for a BlackBerry quad band GSM and Edge tri-band HSPA up to 14.4 megabits per second. 3.2 inch VGA. That's 640 by 480 capacitive touchscreen. I think that's the exact same one we've got in the current version. 8 gigs of built-in memory, 512 megs of RAM, Bluetooth 2.1, GPS, near-field communications, 5 megapixel camera, Camera with flash, bignometer, accelerometer, proximity sensor, 1300 milliamp hour battery, OS 6.1, OpenGL support, and 14.6 millimeters. Overall, uh, the look of the Torch 2 is very similar to the current model, though the exterior will have a matte silver finish on it. The device looks to be set for a late Q3 release for AT&T, so expect this one to stay as an exclusive on the GSM side. And finally, uh, fourth, the BlackBerry Storm 3. We've seen lots of different pictures floating around with this one, but uh, this one appears to include similar specs uh, to the Torch with a 1.2 gigahertz processor, a little bit bigger screen, 3.7 inch with 800 by 480 resolution, capacitive touch display, quad band GSM, tri-band UMTS, 5 megapixel camera with 720p video recording, 8 gigs of storage with 512 megs of RAM, micro SD slot, magnometer, uh, or mag- I guess it's magnetometer, excuse me, proximity sensor, accelerometer, Bluetooth 2.1 plus EDR, 2.4 gigahertz BGN, and 5 gigahertz A and N Wi-Fi plus UMA, which will be nice. That also kind of means probably something for T-Mobile. They're the only ones that I know of that use the UMA support. Of course, uh, the Storm, uh, a CDMA-only device right now. Also, a 3G mobile hotspot optical trackpad, so that'll be kind of nice for those that are looking to actually use a trackpad as well. 1,230 milliamp-hour battery, BlackBerry OS 6.1 OpenGL support, and the Storm 3 slated for a September release will likely launch with multiple versions globally. So this is this is interesting if this is being called the Storm 3 uh, being a, on the uh, GSM side, this doesn't make a lot of sense because right now, yeah, the, the current Storm is just CDMA. So uh, I wonder what this is going to mean for the current CDMA Storms or how this is going to fit in with the new product. Uh, but having the touchpad, the trackpad and the touchscreen, which I bet this is going to be um, kind of a it's like going to be a torchish style device because this is no longer the resistive with the sure press, I'm sure. So uh, this is going to be a it's kind of a new product here. And I, I don't think this one's going to be called the Storm 3. Actually, this is going to be something different. Uh, but it's it's great to see these upgraded specs. And one thing that we've now seen rumored here is the 6.1. We have no idea what that's going to bring us as far as changes to the current 6.0. I like the idea of having the 3G mobile hotspot built in. I mean, that that certainly makes sense. And, and people are liking, you know, like using that now. But that'll um, I think that's going to depend on the carrier, too. I mean, that's what's what we're seeing with the iPhone. Well, and now that with the, the Android phones out there having the, the built in hotspot and the, the, the web OS, the pre's, the, the, the Palm phones have it built in. 
you just have to have it now because you basically expect to have this bundle of Wi-Fi devices that you're carrying around with you. You just now expect them to to be able to to quote unquote you know tether to your smartphone. Is this the end of the MiFi? I mean, is there a reason now to to purchase a MiFi still, or is this uh, you know are these going to totally take over and, and negate the need to buy one? Uh, yes and no. It it'll cut into their market a little bit, but I think that the 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 person who wants a MiFi, they're going to still want it because you turn that power button, you press it on and off, and then you you worry about the battery in the MiFi, and you don't have to worry about it just absolutely sucking down the battery of your smartphone, which this of course will when you do use these uh you know mobile hotspot but uh it, it'll definitely cut into it yeah i'm uh i'm kind of encouraged by the fact that they're pulling you know pulling these uh these features from all the other os's together and so they're all of the operating systems are essentially you know getting themselves on the same playing field and so there's less um i guess reason to choose a device over another just because one os has a feature i mean obviously certain operating systems fit you know, people's needs better, but it's nice to see that some of these things are in there, you know, proximity sensors and um, like accelerometers. I mean, who thought that we'd ever have a BlackBerry with an accelerometer in it? Yeah. And you need the proximity sensor if you're on a capacitive touchscreen, because right. when you put the thing up to your face, uh, it'll detect the side of your face uh, and start pressing buttons on it. So that's why you have to have that to turn it off the screen. Whereas a resistive one, you don't press on it in this in one spot hard enough to actually activate the screen for the most part. So that's why they have to include that. One uh, comment about all four of these devices is that they are all being billed as quad-band GSM and tri-band HSPA devices, whether it's 7.2 or 14.4. They are all on that GSM side. So I, I'm not sure what's going to happen for the CDMA you know, folks that are out there, whether you're here in the U.S. on Sprint Verizon or up in Canada, which most of uh, most of the carriers are now switching over to HSPA anyway. But, um, you know, there's no LTE talk in here at all. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about a, a, a kind of a segmented out market where you've got a lot of people on Verizon and Sprint that are running Blackberries that th- these do not apply to. And we almost always see a lead time on the GSM models, Mickey, from the CDMA side. So they're probably up and coming. They're probably in the works, but we won't see these formalized, uh, uh, quote unquote, uh, leaks here for probably a few months, um, especially with the the GSM side. And, you know, there may be some, maybe there'll be an update to the style, but probably not. It's going to be just uh, a waiting game here. Hmm. I don't know. Big, uh, big scoops here from BGR. Great to... Great on them for getting those out. Uh, just a week after the launch of the Shift Evo 4G on Sprint, they reduced the cost of the Epic 4G from 250 to $200. Both phones have Sprint's 4G connectivity, but the Shift has Android 2.2 and a 3.6-inch screen versus the Epic's Android 2.1 and 4-inch screen. The folks at TMO News got their hands on a leaked document this week detailing the unreleased Samsung Vibrant 4G. The phone says uh, the uh, the site says that the phone will have a four-inch Super AMOLED display with 480 by 800 resolution, one gigahertz processor, one gig of internal memory with expansion up to 16 gigs via microSD, five megapixel camera, front-facing camera, 1650 milliamp-hour battery. And the Vibrant 4G will get its name from being a 21 megabit per second HSPA Plus device. It appears to ship as well with Google's Android 2.2. Sprint on Monday announced the Motorola i886 iDen handset. 
The i886 features a sliding QWERTY keyboard, 2-megapixel camera, Bluetooth, and meets 810G military specifications. The phone runs an unannounced version of Android that does not have a touch display and is now available online and in retail stores for $80 after rebates. Samsung Mobile President J.K. Shin on Wednesday went on record saying that we'll see a new Galaxy S at Mobile World Congress in February that will feature Gingerbread. A dual-core processor and Super AMOLED Plus technology will be shown off in the screen. Also, Shin said that we'll see a preview of Samsung's plans for the Galaxy Tab line. Sprint on Wednesday lowered the contract price of the Samsung Galaxy Tab down to $300. That's a 25% discount off the previous pricing. The price cut brings the cost in line with U.S. Sailor, who offers the Tab for $400 with a $100 mail-in rebate. Let the speculation begin about the timeline for a WiMAX model. This may be what Sprint's industry-first event is all about next week as well. The FCC Friday announced a new Android smartphone from Huawei known as the Ideos X6. The documents state that the device will support quad-band GSM and Edge, AWS 3G bands, Wi-Fi, and will have a 5-megapixel camera with HDMI out. The device will likely be coming to T-Mobile here in the U.S., though no timeline or official announcement has been made, made by the carrier. LG and Altel on Friday announced the Android 2.1 powered LG Access. The phone will have a 3.2 megapixel camera, 3.2 inch WVGA display, and a landscape sliding QWERTY keyboard for texting. The Access is available now for $90 on a two-year agreement. AT&T last week announced the HTC Freestyle, a new feature phone that will be the first to use the Brew MP operating system. The Qualcomm-developed OS will let developers write applications for many devices and cut down on the fragmentation and proprietary nature of the traditional cell phones of today. The Freestyle is an aluminum phone with a 3.2-inch touchscreen and HTC's Sense software. The overall look is similar to AT&T's HTC Aria Android smartphone, just without the Android. AT&T will introduce five more Brew MP power texting phones later this year. Netgear and Verizon last week announced the MBR1000, a 3G, 4G mobile broadband router that creates an 802.11n Wi-Fi hotspot from Verizon's cellular data. The router also supports four Ethernet ports and dual WAN capability. The unit is the same style as a conventional router and is aimed at businesses that rely on cellular internet in the field such as construction and rural area use. Pricing has not been announced and the router should be available in the first half of the year. And finally, in devices, an entry found on found Tuesday on the Bluetooth Special Interest Group's website leads to speculation that a device called the INQ Cloud Touch may indeed be the Facebook phone. The Cloud Touch is described as an Android smartphone built to make messaging faster and smarter, and it's designed around the people naturally communicate and has Facebook built into the core. The home screen features multiple entry points to f- uh, different Facebook functions, while a dynamic widget displays a feed of status updates, albums, videos, and photos. Bloomberg in September reported that INQ was working on a handset for social networking, though the SIG listing occurred just this week. I wonder if that's what Sprint's going to announce. That could be something that's uh, unusual in, 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 a, in a new thing as a, as a real dedicated Facebook phone. So again, if we talk about it enough, it's going to happen. So here's what we've got. <laughs> Sprint's going to be announcing the, uh, the, the iPhone on, on their network. They're going to be announcing uh, 4G Android devices as well as a 4G Galaxy Tab device. Uh, oh, by the way, they're also going to be launching the uh, Playbook, the BlackBerry Playbook. They've already announced that the 4G version of the Playbook is there. Uh, they're also going to be announcing a bunch of WebOS stuff. And now 
the cloud touch that's going to be a big day for sprint can't wait to see what happens there anyway that, no that's a very good point i guess they they could be doing that as well though you know this this entry looking at this i'm not sure um you know who would pick this up is this going to be kind of like a you know like a a galaxy phone i mean uh or it's not a galaxy phone a nexus phone where it's not sold by any carrier and it's just available directly through the service i don't know that would be my guess, Mickey. I think it would be more so uh, maybe a Best Buy if it was ever sold in the U.S., but it's probably going to be a, a non-U.S. phone, I would imagine. Yeah, that's probably probably true. Well, if you're looking for another way to support the cell phone junkie, you can join us on TCPJ Unlocked, our bi-monthly premium podcast. Five bucks a month or $45 a year gets you in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link for TCPJ Unlocked. A big thank you, of course, that goes out to everyone that subscribes. And for the fourth podcast in a week, CES was busy indeed. We released the Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked show number 73 this past Tuesday. And Verizon, of course, releasing their announcing the release of the CDMA version of the iPhone. There's more to the story, though, than just the new phone. We talked about all of that, plus some things you need to consider before making the jump from AT&T to Verizon. Sign up is easy. TheCellPhoneJunkie.com. There's a link right on the right side of the page to get you signed up for the show. In software, T-Mobile and HTC announcing this week the rollout of Android 2.2 to the MyTouch 3G Fender Edition starting on January 12th. The update will take approximately three weeks and includes uh, performance enhancements, improved Gmail, and Microsoft Exchange compatibilities. And according to data collected from the Android developers blog, 87.4% of devices running the Google OS are now version 2.1 or higher. Broken down by version, 2.1 makes up 35.2%, 2.2 makes up 51.8%, and the newly released 2.3 Gingerbread is on the Nexus S only and makes up 0.4%. Nokia on Monday released a new version of Nokia Email for S63 edition phones. Version 3.05 brings support for HTML emails, data encryption, stronger password support, longer email signatures, and embedded image support. The software will run on Nokia's E-series of devices, including the E72, 73, 52, 00, and C5. The beta is a free download. Google on Monday updated its Goggles search application for the iOS and Android operating systems. Updates include faster barcode scanning, print advertisement recognition, and the app will now work on all U.S.-based newspapers. The update is free in the respective app stores. Now, I think the most exciting feature about the new Google Goggles is that you can use it to solve your Sudoku puzzles if you're one of those people who doesn't can't figure them out like I am and sit there for 10 minutes trying to get one number in there. You can take a picture of it, and it'll figure it out. Now, the only problem with that is I usually do those on the plane, and this needs an internet connection. Hmm. Google Wednesday announcing an upgrade for its Translate product for Android, including user interface changes and support for Spanish in conversation mode. With the update, a person can speak English into their phone, and the device will translate into Spanish and read the translation out loud. The feature is available to Android devices running 2.1 and above. I've also got a video in the post to check it out. Google this week announced that its Places application is now available for iOS. Also, running on Android for the past few months, Places with Hot Pot allows you to locate retail and service use vendors based on proximity. The app brings a social component as well, letting users discuss and rate venues and share them with friends. The app is free and available in the App Store. And Apple on Wednesday made iOS 4.3 available to developers of the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch. The new version includes additional AirPlay support, personal hotpot 
hot pot, hot spot support, iPad side switch orientation lock controls, and a five finger touch gesture to the iPad. References in the code have also found live video effects for FaceTime calls, including thermal, x-ray, and turbine, similar to the effects of Mac OS X's iChat. Rim on Thursday met in Boston to discuss new products and services for its 2011 roadmap. The first is the BlackBerry Mobile Voice System, creating a unified communications service for businesses that combines cellular, voice over Wi-Fi, and PBX data f- or desk phones uh, into the single handset of the BlackBerry. Next is a service called BlackBerry Balance, creating a barrier on the phone between business and personal data. The tool will now allow corporate IT departments to wipe only corporate data from a BlackBerry, leaving the personal information alone. Further, the service prevents users from mixing work and personal email uh, and other third-party applications. The services are scheduled to be launched later this year. Now, I find the BlackBerry Balance to be a very compelling idea. There's a lot of people that have their own personal Blackberries or have Blackberries that they want to use for both uh, business and work-type functions. And to not have to have, I guess, the security and the uh, locked-down nature of you know, the bez on the entire phone kind of makes sense. You have this certain side of it that is for business and then the rest of it, including BIS support for all of your other, you know, email accounts and installing your own applications and stuff like that is actually kind of a nice way to go. Oh, it's a great way to go. As somebody who has, uh, you know, devices in the hands of employees and, you know, I have a bez, I don't really enforce the policies that much uh, on the phones, but it would be nice to be able to do that on the corporate side, you know, to not have some of these uh, things uh, you know, get out or to, to be able to, to maintain that side of things. If you've got this split, you know, this virtual wall inside your phone, why not? I mean, it's a, it's a great way to go because you don't have to worry about the security then of the network uh, that your Blackberries are basically in. So I hope they get this out pretty soon because it's, uh, it'd be definitely good for the, the, the users that don't want to carry two phones but still be able to install applications and maybe even actually have a little bit of fun with their phone while they're uh, not working. Again, services will be launched later in the year, so don't look for this tomorrow or anything, but uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one because that's certainly a, certainly a nice one to have. And I'm sure we're going to need uh, new handsets for this one, so I'm sure OS 6.1 at the absolute minimum is going to be required to do something like this. And, of course, the BEZ servers will have to be updated as well. Very good point. Verizon on Thursday announcing Android OS updates coming to the Droid Pro and Samsung Fascinate. Both updates offer a number of bug fixes and enhancements to both devices. Uh, Though no additional features, users can wait for an over-the-air update or manually download and install the new system software through a link that we'll provide in the show notes. And finally, in software, TurboTax this week expanded the availability of the SnapTax application to cover the entire U.S. It allows for tax filings right from your Android or iOS device. The application allows for 1040EZ tax filings only and uses photos of the W-2 statements to extract income data. Once the fields are populated, a user can submit their taxes wirelessly and without needing to file any paperwork. The application is free, and TurboTax charges $15 for the processing and filing of the forms with the IRS. Some questions and comments for us this week. First one is a question from Dominic. He says, thanks for doing a podcast at CES. I've been following the action on Twitter. Lots of Android releases, and I can only imagine how exciting it is. I have laughed, learned, and cried. I do have a question. The Motorola Atrix is a nice piece of hardware, but I noticed that it has a 2100 megahertz radio band. Will this work on the T-Mobile 3G here in the U.S.? Thanks for all your hard work, guys. 
uh, it is doubtful that the uh, Atrix uh, Dominic will indeed work on 3G on T-Mobile. Um, in fact, I'd say it's almost certainly no. 2100 is for international use outside of the U.S. So don't uh, don't count on this one here. Though I agree, it is a nice piece of hardware. Um, Motorola, both that one and the Bionic, they they made some nice stuff, and I'm I'm glad they got those out because they were both very nice upgrades. Do we see any Motorola on T-Mobile right now, Mickey? Do they do any 1700s? Because if they do, maybe we'll see this uh, coming up in a very similar hardware coming up. But if they don't, uh, we may not. Uh, T-Mobile may not see this. Yeah, you know they have the uh, the Click, which of course is their kind of I'll just say mid range phone, which is about the only one that comes to mind offhand. Um, you know the the main ones that they use with the MyTouch line, those are HTC models. Um, the the uh, the Click and all the Click Two, which will be coming out. I, I think are going to be uh, that's probably the, the Defy. I guess is the Defy that's the same as the Click. Now that I think about it, so uh, nothing I can think of. Well, I, I suppose if they don't actually get this exact same phone on T-Mobile with 3G support, I, I bet there's going to be a device that'll match these specifications. That's kind of copied by one of the other manufacturers that'll appear on T-Mobile because you know they're all kind of similar phones. But I, I'm sure something like this will come around. Uh, of course, there's the Charm as well. That's the uh, the one that's got the front-facing QWERTY on it. And then the Defy, I guess, is a different phone. On you know, it's, They've got the Click and the Defy, uh, both from Motorola. So you can choose uh, either one. Looks like the Defy's got some upgraded specs on it. Um, it's the same. Well, it's 10 bucks more, but it's very, very similar. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, though, uh, Dominic, you're not going to be able to use the Atrix on the 3G network. But if you wanted to use it edge-only, you're, you're certainly, uh, you know, if you can get it unlocked, you can do that. Question from Dale. He says, do you have any idea where I might find a window edge mount for a small magnetic mount cell antenna? The ones that I've seen are formed to slip over the top edge of your passenger window and are held in place by simply rolling the window up. Any information would be appreciated. Thanks. Um, now, I did some research on this one. Um, I have seen in the past uh, these, well, they're for TNC extender mounts, and they're for hooking up like a scanner antenna or a CB radio antenna or something like that. Um, they they do exactly what you're saying, where they slip over the top edge of the window, and then when you roll the window up, it uh, the wire is kind of integrated into the piece of metal. And it's actually not not bad, and it works well for getting at least the antenna out of your car. Though, for the, uh, the magnetic mount cell antennas, I... You know, I hadn't seen anything. Everything I saw looked like it had some sort of connector on it, and none of those uh, were really related to cellular. It was more on the amateur radio, like I said, scanner, CB side, and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I don't got anything for him, Joey. No, I really don't. Unfortunately, it seems like uh, that you know having antennas for your phone is kind of a, a hit or miss situation because. Uh, not many phones have the connectors anymore, and if they do, they're really tiny and they're integrated into it. I found I have a track phone, Mickey, that I use to kind of port my number away from Sprint than back to Sprint, and I found underneath the battery door, there's the little antenna connector. I'm like, wow, what, what's that doing in there? Uh, things like the iPhone, actually, you can have an external antenna. My car is pre-wired for an antenna, uh, for a cellular antenna, um, but you need to have the, the special docking system and all that stuff uh, with the car when it was built in order to actually make use of it. So um, I think that uh, it's this is probably a tough one. You know, eBay would probably be the first place I'd go because this is kind of a something that's probably not so common in the U- U.S., but probably more so in other parts of the world. But of course, you'd have to get an antenna that's um, for the frequencies that you need. Hmm. That's very true. Um, I'm guessing just from the question, he probably already has an antenna. Um, <clears throat> you know, I would say too, the, the idea of getting an external antenna the higher the better so if you can possibly get it on top of the vehicle and i'm guessing you 
easily can because it's a magnetic mount would, uh, would, would make more sense than putting it right outside the window too. Absolutely. And then of course, you know, if the phone does have the antenna connector on it or a docking station, like if this is an iPhone, for example, you know, some of the docking stations I believe have an antenna output on them. I, I think Mickey, um, well, they, they probably do. Um, but if the phone doesn't have an antenna adapter that you can plug into, then you need a different sort of system. And uh, Mickey, I, I, I've had some experience with one of these just recently. Absolutely. Yes, you have the the Wilson Sleek is the model that Joey's talking about. And this is uh, one that we reviewed a couple of months back. And uh, Joey was so kind. Uh, Joey, the tool man coppice, help, helping me install the uh, uh, th- this antenna system in the car uh, permanently, basically. I, I, what I did is... Um, I have this thing. It's a the sleek has got a, a cradle. It's a universal cradle, and the antenna amplification system is built right into this cradle. And so you install. Basically, I installed it with a suction cup to the windshield of the device, and then ran all the wires down, um, you know, down the pillar and underneath uh, some trim pieces, and then all the way out. I've got an SUV through the back uh, window uh, gate and uh, back up onto the roof, and so it actually worked very well. We were pretty uh, pretty successful using it on the on the drive for CES from Phoenix to Las Vegas. Granted. Uh, AT&T doesn't have 3G coverage very far, but it kept the phone at least in edge coverage most of the way, which was nice because we were parts of the way able to actually stream internet radio over that edge connection, which worked out pretty well. In fact, uh, this was we were driving during the same time that we had the issue uh, of the, uh, the the shot congressman down in t- or congresswoman down in Tucson, and so we're able to pull up uh, and actually listen to a live stream on the the sling player through CNN for a brief period of time as well. So uh, kind of neat to to be able to see that, and definitely would recommend it. It's not an expensive piece. It's the the Wilson Sleek, uh, and I've got some reviews of it as well as videos of how it works. And it looks like here on eBay there are some kind of cell phone uh, antennas that they've got standard wires on them with magnetic mounts where you'd have to kind of fish the wire through the car, um, either through a door sill or a, a trunk uh, opening. That's usually a pretty good spot as well. Um, it, it really depends on the configuration of your vehicle to where you'd want to get that wire in. But like with your vehicle, Mickey, you kind of put it around the gasket. So you actually never see the wire. You, re- you don't see it even with the door open, but it does come through the door opening. Yeah, it, it's wild. Joey's amazing. So... Dale, just fly uh, fly Joey to wherever you are, and he'll he'll take care of you. He'll install it. No, he won't do that. <laughs> yeah, the won't. ones on eBay, it looks like they're around twenty to thirty dollars for the the ones that they have there. But it it depends on the phone too, and what connector you have on there. Yeah. All right. Next one is a comment from Andy. He says, Mickey and Joey, Andy from Sydney, Australia. A few weeks ago, one of your listeners asked if I if you knew or we knew of any fast dialers for the iPhone. For the last year, I have used TakePhone. It can be found at shsh.com. There's a version for iPhone, Android, and Palm. I believe you can also find it in the App Store, and you don't need to jailbreak your phone to use it. I believe there's a free, limited version to try out, and also a paid version. Thanks for your work on the podcast. Regards, Andy. Well, Joey, I have not used TakePhone, but uh, I think you may have some experience with this, no? Yeah, I used that for years on my uh, on my Palm uh, phones, my Samsung i500, and then, of course, the Centro. Um, Centro, I didn't need it as much, but the Samsung, they had a horrific uh, implementation of the contact list on that phone. So take phone was absolutely a requirement and it was just awesome. I loved using that uh, dialer and um, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, um, I, I was just looking for anything. So thanks to Andy for passing that one on. And I can't even remember who asked the question, but um, 
Uh, hopefully, if you're listening, so you can check this one out for a fast way to dial on the iPhone. Next is a question from Joe. He says, hey, guys, love the show. And because I enjoyed the CES coverage, I have a comment about the networks. First off, I'm a bit biased because I work for the uh, the AT&T service carrier and the who adorns the t- he said the aforementioned carrier that adorns the title of this email which was AT&T and I know that most information that I receive from work is internal rallying i.e. biased as well with that said I have always been a phone junkie and I'll give credit where credit is due my gripe is the smackdown that we receive from people about the network this is an exciting time especially with 4G and the slew of new devices slated to arrive in 2011 AT&T is not a bad network given the growth with Apple's iPhone I think we really have performed very very, very well. Uh, we have one of the lowest churn rates and our network speeds are awesome. Granted that in my market, my coverage and data speeds are very good. Our coverage is not our strong point though, just like speed isn't Verizon's, but our public perception is not entirely justified. Not anymore. Anyway, just to clarify, calling HSPA plus 4G wasn't my idea. Imagine my surprise when in my position, we were blindsided by the announcement while giggling at T-Mobile's 4G. As far as I was told, our roadmap for 3G was 3G until LTE. That was before the coining of the phrase 4G network, causing droves of people to ask, why don't you have 4G? I believe that announcement was all marketing and forgive my discretion. Uh, or my dig- my digression. Uh, my question, I guess, is what do you think about Verizon's LTE? I know AT&T's tiered approach of data speed to LTE makes for faster fallback speeds when you aren't on it. With Verizon's 3G to LTE, the gap in speed is quite large. So if you're not sailing at full tilt, you're rowing with oars, figuratively speaking. Also, I have the option of getting a new focus now or waiting until the Atrix. I haven't seen the latter in person, and if I do get it now, I'll have to wait for at least 12 months before I get a new device. Should I wait? I look... Uh, and forward to and value your opinion as a side note we are excited to hear that if verizon is finally getting the iphone it'll take so much pressure off us to deal with issues that arise that aren't network related mostly angry uninsured customers who have lost stolen or broken devices that aren't eligible for a two-year pricing uh, i see now why verizon simplified their upgrade process thanks for taking the time to read through the long email joe all right, Joe. Uh, well, first off, um, I, there was a question in there. So, <laughs> on the on the three G side, you know, or on the Verizon side with four G and switching back to their LTE, yeah, it is a pretty big gap. You're going from you know basically ten megabits per second to one megabit per second. But you know, something's better than nothing, I guess. And and so I'll I'll say it's not that big of a problem. And if you're especially someone who lives, works, and travels to the LTE areas or passes through the airports, this is all going to really be not that big of a deal because you're going to be on LTE most of the time. In fact, I'm in an area where I still don't have 3G coverage for T-Mobile at my house, and I have LTE coverage here. So uh, it is pretty uh, pretty widespread. And like we announced at the beginning of the show that Verizon will be announcing uh, or has announced another 49 cities uh, that they will be coming to over the next six months. And so they're going to be close to 100 and uh, hopefully hit that 140 goal by the uh, end of the year. And as long as the iPhone 4 on Verizon does uh, have a good, you know, the it, or any of the, the phones have good, you know, uh, CDMA or EVDO antennas on them and, and can handle the data pretty good, you should be up to two, two and a half megabits on 
on the EVDO Rev A network. I've seen that uh, consistently with the BlackBerry Storm that's being tethered uh, with the Verizon using you know their system. Um, and, and I've seen that now with the Sprint Prom Pre. Uh, I see that kind of speed with the Wi-Fi hotspot mode enabled. So unlike my BlackBerry, which when I tether it, I can't get anything like that, which is kind of strange. I, I don't understand what the difference is between the Storm and the and my BlackBerry uh, using the, the tethering. But uh, it, it won't be that big of a gap then. It, it'll kind of reduce that down. So you're looking between the Focus and the Atrix, and <clears throat> you know I had the Focus for a while and, and did a full review on it, and I found it was kind of a unique operating system, something new, something fresh. Um, like we talked about earlier in the story, LG kind of thinks too, yeah, it's not, you know, it's kind of, you know, yeah, kind of boring, I guess. Uh, I'm sure you've had time to play with it because you're you're at the uh, you've, you're at work for AT and T, but um, the Atrix is nice. It's very powerful, and so if you're an Android fan, then I would say definitely wait for it to come out before you upgrade. Um, I think you get bored with the focus personally. That's just me. I mean, if it were me playing with it, I would, I would say that, but, um, again, it's different. It's something new and and maybe you're someone who is looking for that in their life and something a little bit more simplistic. Well, and, uh, I can completely appreciate that because, uh, you know, kind of like the BlackBerry side of things, I like the quick and dirty, get it done. I want to just do it right this minute with a quick keyboard shortcut. And, uh, the, the Windows Phone 7 interface really kind of gives that to you because you can see it all with the, the live tiles in, in most cases. Yep, absolutely. It's not, uh, it's not a, it's not a bad way to go. Um, it just may not be, if you're a tinkerer, eh probably go with Android. I think it'll, it'll keep you, uh, at least happier in the, in the short term. Next is a question from Wayless, and he says, I have a MyTouch 4 GNT mobile. Will I need a new unit to access the new theoretical speeds this year? And if so, with all of the new phones coming out on each and every carrier, how is a consumer to keep up within a budget? Love the show. Thanks, guys. Uh, Wayless or Wallace in Minneapolis. Well, the good news is that the MyTouch 4G is HSPA Plus compatible, so you'll at least be able to take advantage of the 21 megabit per second speeds as they come to your area. As a consumer, though, you're going to have to uh, need to purchase a device when you need it. Be comfortable using it and within the limitations uh, until you can afford another. I mean, there's no way to be able to upgrade and get every single Android phone that comes out or every new phone that comes out. It's just it's not financially possible for the majority of people out there. And, and there's no reason to do it either. Um, the devices that were released, you know, a year, even 18 months ago are still very capable devices. It's just that we have seen so much uh, growth from uh, specifically the Android side that it really has made us kind of, uh, you know, numb to these, you know, these older specs on these devices. And we say, wow, that's, you know, we need something faster. It has to be better. Uh, but your MyTouch 4G is a very, like I said, a very capable device. And you should be very happy knowing that you've got something that will take you into these higher speeds with AT&T, at least for the next year or two. Hence the 4G name. Uh, that's why they're calling it because that's it'll be capable of their their quote unquote 4G network, the HSP Plus. What what was that timeline again, Mickey? Say they said by the end of the year, all markets or all current uh, 3G should have that, wasn't it? Something like that. They had had a, a timeline where they announced, but it's coming soon if it, if you don't have it already. Um, as far as that network support. They are planning on getting this, what they're calling their 4G network, out to a lot of their major metro areas. Um, the, the theoretical speeds that that they're talking about, of course, are the 21 megabits per second speeds. Um, they're saying over 100 major markets, 200 million people. Um, you know, they're gonna uh, this year upgrade to the 42 megabit per second, which I don't. Uh, again, I, we talked about it last week. I'm not. I'm just, it, it totally makes me shake my head because let's let's let you know let's make sure that the the current 21 megabit per second network is built out appropriately, 
and let's let maybe try and cover some additional areas before you just ramp up and say, oh, we're going to 42 megabits now. You know, what's next? Well, oh, we're going to 84 now. Okay, but, you know, we can see the phones make it to the tower that fast, but your backhaul isn't upgraded. So spend a little bit more money on that side and let's, you know, let's get the 4G networks, uh, you know, make them robust versus just like, uh, hey, it works great here. And, you know, where Mickey lives, it's on edge only. You know, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. And so um, if it works for you, though, I, I'm I'm happy for people that are in T-Mobile areas where they've got good service because, um like I said, it's kind of frustrating for me and not being able to to check that out. Next one is a question from Chris. He says, guys, I've got a quick Google Voice question. Uh, currently, I have a Google Voice number, two cell phones. One is mine, the iPhone. One is work, a BlackBerry. I also have a work desk phone. I have my Google Voice number forwarded to all three numbers. And if it matters, I shouldn't add any applications to the BlackBerry with the work rules in place. What I'd like to do is have my BlackBerry's calls forwarded to my Google Voice number so that they go to my personal cell phone and my desk phone. I just entered in the Google Voice number to forward the calls if I don't answer on the device. However, it seems that what happens if someone calls the BlackBerry now, it goes straight to Google Voicemail. It never rings my iPhone or office desk. I do get notifications of the call, but I'd like to actually roll from them from the BlackBerry over to the other phones if no one answers. Not really sure what had happened then. Google Voice voicemail or some other phone's voicemail. I'll figure this out at some point if that is even possible. Uh, from what I have found, this may not be possible, but I figured check with the experts. Thanks for all the excellent information, Chris. All right, well, Chris, yes, the right guys, because this is exactly, exactly what I do on a regular basis. I have a work desk phone, a work BlackBerry, uh, a personal Google Talk account, which also ties into my Google Voice number, a personal BlackBerry, and a personal iPhone, all routed from Google Voice. So further, I have each of the mobile accounts set to route all voicemail calls to Google Voice versus having the specific specific voicemail of the cellular, cellular provider handle them. So that means go into your Google Voice account and then choose your BlackBerry and make sure that the, the voicemail is being managed by Google Voice. Do the same thing for the iPhone as well. Now, when what you do then is whenever I want to have my calls from one of my phones go to the others is simply forward the phone. And this, the, the way that you do this depends on the carrier, but my BlackBerry is Verizon. So I dial star seven two, my Google voice number, hit talk, and then it beeps a couple of times. And now all the calls going to that get routed to Google voice, which then gets routed back out to all of my phones. Now, there is one other thing I should mention. There is a checkbox in there, and I think this is where uh, where you may be having a little bit of an issue. There is a checkbox, and I'm going to find it as I'm talking here, um, that when you go into the settings, your voice settings, and go into the specific, um, uh, the advanced settings under the phone, you've got a checkbox there that says, ring my other phones before going to voicemail. So make sure that your forwarding options are active, and you've got the ring my other phones before going to voicemail is checked, and make sure that you have the voicemail set up to be to, for, so the voicemail for each of these mobile devices is through Google. That is that is the key with this is that they manage everything. So um, you know once I'm done and you know, at the end of the weekend or whatever, I just dial I think it's star seven three and then it, all my calls come back to the BlackBerry just as normal. So I, I do this all the time. I never have a problem with it. Um, if you still run into issues with it, take some screenshots. You can uh, you know blank out your number, but I want to I'll, I'll need to see what's going on. But just try that first. Go into the settings. Go click on your BlackBerry. Make sure that the voicemail is active. Then uh, go into the advanced settings. Make sure ring my other phones before going to voicemail is checked. 
you should be good to go. It's uh, it's very simple, works very nice. One thing I've run into though with the work phone, and sometimes I actually most of the time I keep the work line unchecked so it doesn't route my calls to there. If uh, if you run a PBX phone system, um, and that particular phone line gets routed to, let's just say, kind of like a, a bank or an operator type system, that can be issues where I've been on the phone and a call has come into my Google Voice system and it'll get essentially routed to my receptionist uh, versus uh, my act- going to my personal voicemail. So that is uh, kind of funky. <laughs> so you got to make sure that uh, when you're doing that, you, you don't run into issues like that. Yeah, it's it, it, Google Voice is using some sort of VoIP uh, implementation on the back end and something about that does... Uh, play play kind of uh unnicely with the uh, voip systems i've discovered that as well mickey where it it does kind of uh funky things every once in a while but uh, that being said other than that it's it's wonderful i mean i get uh, i get a lot of calls here at home and i take them over google talk especially of course when i'm at the computer um otherwise um i will know first on at work uh when a call is coming in on google voice because I usually have Gmail up just kind of in a browser in the background, but I'll always hear my browser ring <laughs> about two to three seconds before the phones start to ring. It, it picks up the, uh, you know, picks up the, the VoIP first and uh, would be able to, I'd be able to answer it, I guess, if I wanted to on my computer. But of course, I don't have a headset hooked up on my computer all the time. Um, so then I'll just grab it on the phone when it rolls in there. But some, uh, you, you should, you should have no problems. I don't uh, forward Blackberries, forward the iPhone, forward my Sprint phone, just send them back to the Google Voice number and the other phones ring. Works perfectly. Love it. Love it very much. If you have any questions for us, you can get in touch with us a couple of ways. Send us an email, questions at thecellphonejunkie.com. Give us a call, 206-203-3734. Or you can always send us a text message to 775-773-TCPJ. That's 8275. And I'm so glad the questions and comments were back from their vacation because uh, that is my favorite part of the show. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, yeah, we, we took a hiatus last week because we had so much CES news, 72 stories I think we reported on last week. So just a, just a wild one. But uh, anyway, yes, thank you for everyone who wrote in this week and get in touch with us in one of those ways if you've got a question to be answered. If you'd like to follow us and all of our uh, random mobile musings, you can do so on Twitter. I am TCPJ underscore Mickey. Joey is TCPJ underscore Joey. All of the news that we post on the site can be found at Cell Phone Junkie or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the cell phone junkie. So Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at the cell phone junkie.com. <laughs>